0: Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 15 We've had almost uh, a break from this passage of Scripture for about a month But let me read it to you I will only read up to about verse 19 From verse 15 Ephesians and chapter 1 For this reason, because I have heard of your faith "...having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And verse 19, "...and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, Let me just finish this. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Well, what we have done is um, we have come to the end of that uh, one long sentence of the Apostle Paul from verse 3 to verse 14 in which the apostle opened for us the way in which God saves us. And he saves us, first of all, by what the Father planned in eternity. He predestined, he chose us, and so on, in Christ. He also saves us by what the Son did in history some 2,000 years ago. When he came from heaven, took on our human nature, suffered and died on the cross in order to purchase our redemption. In order that we might have his free forgiveness, free forgiveness. We add nothing to it. He gives it to us purely on the basis of the finished work. Christ. And then thirdly, the way in which God saves us on the day that the Holy Spirit convicts us and converts us. On the day in which he infuses spiritual life into us. When we are born again, we are regenerated by the work of the Spirit of God. And all that is what the Apostle Paul had written down for us in verse 3 down to verse 14. Last time when I was preaching here, I just took a slight detour because of the fact that much of what we are going to look at now is really the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in believers. That's what we'll be looking at. And I thought it was as important for us to to be clear about this sealing of the Holy Spirit that we found in verse 14. And whether it is something of the popular notion with respect to the baptism with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit. So we looked at the popular view. We went through the book of Acts. I gave a different interpretation to the popular view. And then finally, I explained the doctrine of baptism with or of the Holy Spirit and appreciated therefore its significance with respect to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And we ended by speaking about the need for us to be filled With the Holy Spirit Something that we will go on to look at In the next few weeks and months Today we begin this new section In verse 15 Where the Apostle Paul Is responding to the news Of the ongoing work of salvation That was taking place in Ephesus And hence those words in verse 15 for this reason, because I heard of your faith. I've heard of this, and therefore I am responding in this way. Well, let me quickly let the cat out of the bag. The way in which he responds is by praise and prayer. That's the way he responds, it is by gratitude and To God, and then also pleading with God on behalf of the saints. And uh, as we look at Paul's own response, I really want to challenge all of us that we might ask ourselves the question, is that the way we ourselves respond to such news? Is there... On one hand, gratitude, and then on the other is their real prayer, pleading with God on behalf of new converts. Well, let's learn from the example of Paul, and let's apply it to ourselves so that there might be real Christianity among us, real Christianity, because ultimately, That's the only thing that matters. Real Christianity. Well, let's quickly look at our text. And first of all, salvation is invisible. First of all, because it is in the heart of human beings. It is the heart that gets the heart transplant. It is... A spirit within That is renewed But And this is the point I want to make It's It produces fruit And therefore That fruit makes Salvation visible Salvation Produces fruit And because it produces fruit It becomes Visible Anybody can see that people or an individual has become converted. The Apostle Paul had preached in Ephesus. I think we all know the account. If we quickly jump to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, it's a passage we looked at last time. Acts 19. We read thus. And it happened that while apollos was at corinth paul passed through the inland country and came to ephesus there he found some disciples so some people had already been converted through the preaching of apollos it was a bit of a half-baked gospel however people responded and consequently they had become a church and paul ministered, corrected their thinking, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were consequently added meaningfully to the Christian church. However, verse 8, and he, referring to Paul, entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And then some people obviously didn't like what was happening And began to kick and scream But the point is Paul already had some conversions When we get into chapter 20 20 And verse 17 We find that by that time the church even has elders And so we read Verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and he began to basically plead with them to look after the flock of God. So this is the church that Paul is writing to. The difference is that this is so many years later and Paul is now in prison imprisoned for his faith and as he is in prison he is receiving news about what is happening in the various churches and is hearing about fresh recruits new converts who are coming to faith in christ and this is the way paul is responding he is responding in terms of praise and prayer, but what I want us to notice is the things that Paul is hearing that convinces him that these people are converted. What are the things about them that he's hearing? Well, here is what he says in verse fifteen. For this reason, because I heard of one, your faith in the Lord Jesus, and to your love toward all the saints. That's what Paul was hearing. And as he was hearing those things, the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, Paul was saying, "Aha! Uh-huh, these people are converted. Now, normally... As I'll show you in a few moments There were in fact three virtues Three ingredients That often convinced Paul That individuals were now converted Three One is faith The second is love And the third is hope Those three things Faith, hope and love and normally they were in terms of faith and then love and then hope in fact even in this passage later on in as part of his prayer in verse 18 hope comes in listen to verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. But let's quickly jump to uh, Colossians chapter 1, and then also First Thessalonians, and Second Thessalonians, and Philemon. And I want you to notice that in every situation, these were the three ingredients that Paul looked for. To show that here were people who were genuinely converted... And the, thing, the reason why I want to emphasize this is because we often look for wrong things altogether when we are looking for the evidence of God's salvation. And I want us to see, in the case of the Apostle Paul, how consistently these were the three ingredients. Colossians 1 and verse uh, 3 We always thank God. Now, quickly, before I come to this, these believers in Coloss, Paul did not know them personally. He's not the one who preached there. Epaphroditus is the one who preached there, or Epaphras, depending on the way your version puts it. But the point is, he was in prison, and he got the news. He got the news. And this is his response. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And listen to this. Since we heard of, one, your faith in Christ Jesus, and two, of the love that you have for all the saints, and then three, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What I love about this passage is that hope is explained as a kind of inspiration, as a kind of driving force that was making these brethren to have faith and also to have love. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let's quickly look at First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Again, those three things. Faith, love, and hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4. We read there, we ought always to thank to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because of rather because number 1 your faith is growing abundantly and number 2 and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing and then he uses a slightly different word for hope and it is in verse 4 therefore We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness. Again, that is the hope that drives you, that enables you to continue in the midst of so many situations that otherwise would discourage you. And finally, Philemon. Philemon, after Titus. A very small book. Philemon. Paul here is uh, speaking about what he has come to know concerning Philemon and the reason why he rejoices in him. Verse 4, Philemon, verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of, one, your love, And two of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ And for all the saints So I think it's obvious, brethren From all these accounts That the evidence that somebody has become a Christian lies in these three ingredients as far as this apostle is concerned the first is faith obviously it's invisible i'll come to mention a little bit about that the second is love and the third is hope or perseverance first of all faith faith is the root Faith is is spiritual eyes. In other words, it's us beginning to see life as it really is from the perspective of the creator himself, God. That's what faith is. You see, before people are converted, their lives revolve around themselves because that's all they know. It's about me, myself, And I But when God regenerates them When he gives them new birth He opens their spiritual eyes And they begin to see That life is actually Not about themselves It is about God That's what life is about It's about the creator of the universe And therefore we owe him everything But when their eyes are also opened, they realize that they instead have been stealing His glory, they have been living for themselves, and therefore they have been sinning against God. And that's what drives them to seek forgiveness from God. That's what drives them to the foot of the cross. Their eyes have been opened. But it doesn't end there. What happens is this. Because they have realized when their eyes were opened that their lives are not about themselves but about God, that that's what life is about, there is a complete change of the center of gravity in their lives when they become Christians. When... You are with them. You find that they're not so much speaking about, I want this and tomorrow I must get that and this is what I'm chasing after and, and, and me, I'm not happy about this and, and, and me, I'm upset about the other and, and me, me, me. No, 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 no. What you now start hearing from them is this, God, God, God. That's, that's the, the the center of their Talk and their discussion and and their zeal and, and their passion and so on. It's now about God. And you realize these people now have faith. They have faith. Their spiritual eyes have been opened. When they are upset, what has upset them is that people are stealing the glory of god they are sinning against god that's why they're upset when they are joyful it's because god is being honored god is being glorified and so as you are listening to them, And it's not because they are in church and, and with a hymn book in front of them. No, no, no. You, you are in the kitchen together, you are washing dishes, or you are trying to fix the tire of a car, or, or you are just having a meal together, and so on. You are socializing. But you can't miss the fact that their lives are now about an altogether different being to themselves it's about God it's about God so they have found a new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and as I said that's the that's the root the fruit of it is now a love for all the saints it's a love not just for all the saints It is a love for God, but God is invisible. And therefore, that love expresses itself in caring for those who are made in His image, but more than that, those who are remade in His image, made through Christ, through Christ's salvation. And that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. And then the hope, as we already saw, is what keeps them steadfast, continuing. When others are falling off by the wayside, They continue, why? Because they know that they have this salvation that is leading them to glory, and one day they will stand before God, their maker. He's going to reward them for their life in Him, and therefore they want to continue living for Him. Those three aspects. And I want you to notice how that they are all very spiritual, deeply spiritual. Faith, love, and hope. Let me try and put this way to you. That when we are accepting people for baptism, as we have done this week, when we are accepting you for membership as church elders, we do it on the basis of the profession of, Faith. In other words, it's what you are claiming. We listen very carefully to you. We listen very carefully and we say, Okay, it sounds as if there is the root of the matter in this person. That saving faith seems to be there. However, after that, we begin to look. We begin to see. Is there now the fruit? Is the fruit showing? Is there a sincere love for the people of God? Has this person now integrated with God's children? When there is a disaster in one family, an illness in the other family, a funeral in this other person's family. When there are needs among the people of God, is this person there? When there are activities together to do with maybe ministering together, going for outreach together, Spending time together as God's people. Is this person there? Is, is the fruit beginning to show? Is there a holiness? Is there a real desire to live for God in this person? Is the fruit of faith there? What the Apostle Paul calls the work of faith. Is it there? Sadly For a lot of people It's not It's not And it's a very sad reality That individuals Will, will do anything to, to be accepted in membership To be baptized To, be, to, to, to f- finally somehow belong to the people of God But as soon as you've welcomed them They are as As spiritually dead as the very pews on which we are sitting right now. Now, I think it's important that we realize that going to church is not evidence of being saved, it's not. And one way in which you can know it is this. The devil comes to church. He does. He's the one who causes you to doze off when I'm preaching. You see? The question is, what about the life, the spiritual life, faith, love, hope, me put it a little differently and this is for those of us who are parents and our children profess faith we need to learn to be brutally honest brutally honest because our children will tell us that they've become christians and they're not cheating they're sincere but often it's because we've been bringing them to church They've taken on the faith of their parents. So when we are together at home, and just merely socializing, and we are noticing that this child of mine, at the center of his life or her life, is still me, myself, and I. It's not God, his honor and his glory. We should take our child and sit them down and say, look, let me be honest with you. Let me be honest with you. You're not a Christian. You're not. And it's not because I hate you. It's because I love you. I'm not seeing the evidence, the fruit of your profession of faith. Why assure our own children that they are Christians when we know that there is no fruit? Why? Why should we continue pampering them all the way to hell? Who else is going to love them the way we do? Who else? We should set them down. And perhaps with tears coming down our cheeks, said to them, my son, my daughter, I know you've professed faith. I know you have. But I want to be honest with you. I've walked with the Lord for a number of years. The fruit of salvation I don't see. Go to Calvary afresh. Go to the cross afresh. Plead with Jesus to really, really, really save you until the evidence is there. It's overwhelming. I will be the first one. I'll be the very first one to come and say to you, I can now say it. You are my brother. You are my sister. Let's be like Paul, looking for evidence. May I add, by putting it this way, the elders of Kawata Baptist Church visit members not because there's a problem, but to just see how they are doing. Here's my point. When an elder says to you in that visit, I have serious doubts about your conversion, that elder doesn't hate you. He loves you. He does. And obviously you don't know this because it was in a private letter. I wrote such a letter to one of our members here just two weeks ago all the way from America and I said exactly these words. I don't think you are saved. Go to Calvary. Seek the Lord. And I was doing it not because I hate a church member. It's out of love. Out of love. Just because you've professed faith, just because you've been baptized, does not mean therefore you are saved. The fruit must be there. And now you are in membership. Now we are looking, especially those of us who have oversight over you. And when we are not seeing the fruit, faith, love, hope, when these things are not showing, it is out of love that we say it to you, so that you may truly be saved. Now let's suppose the fruit is there. Well, oh, this is what Paul now does, Where there's evidence of the fruit of our salvation, of salvation our first response must be of gratitude. Gratitude to God. This was Paul's first response when he heard of God's work of saving grace. Back to verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you. Why? It is because salvation is the work of God. Friends, if God the Father had not chosen you in eternity and predestined you to salvation, you would not be a Christian today. Let me go further. If God the Son had not come down and died on that cross, shedding His blood, you would not be a Christian today. Let me go further. If God the Holy Spirit had not come searching for you, and began to tighten the screw on your soul, if he hadn't given new birth to your spirit, you would still be dead, spiritually dead, despite going to church all your life, still dead. Therefore, if you're a Christian, surely we should turn and say, God... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this person. Because you have done a work of grace. Thank you, O Lord. Father, thank you for electing and predestining this individual. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for this individual. Spirit of God, thank you for giving new birth to this individual and therefore enabling the person to trust in you and repent from their sin. Oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you. The other thing that I hope you notice, the Apostle Paul never stopped thanking. Never. I love the way he puts it. Let's go back to our text. He says, for this reason. What reason? Well, what I've just talked about. The work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. I've just finished one long sentence about how God saves sinners. And because it is all for His glory, because He's the one who does all this, for this reason, when I heard about your conversion, here it is, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you. In other words, it's not just at the point of salvation, but every time I look true believers in the face, I say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time you say, I don't cease to give thanks to God for you. Let me try and put it this way to you. The more we grow in a biblical understanding of salvation, a biblical understanding, the more we thank God for each Christian. Each Christian. You see, are some people who think that we become Christians primarily because of our own decision. Okay? So... Or maybe some evangelist breathing fire came into town. And uh, you know, the way he preached, he preached you out of your seat, out of your pew, literally out of your socks as well. And therefore, the praise goes to the evangelist or to the person for making the right decision. The right decision. Courts, courts. Such. A doctrinal position will not overwhelm you with praise for God, does it? But when you drink in the doctrines of sovereign grace that make up verse 3 down to verse 14, beginning with a strong doctrine of predestination, And election. That's where Paul began. The more you understand salvation this way, the more when you meet a believer, a genuine child of God, who's living for God, not the hypocrites, uh -uh, you know, hypocrites put you off, but who are really walking with the Lord. Willing to live and die for Jesus. The life revolves around Calvary. Sacrificing for the cause of Christ. You know that no human life could have produced this. No human decision could have produced this. It's impossible. You say... To God be the glory, great things he has done. That's what you say. Great things he has done. But let's quickly hurry on. There is the other response. And it is the other side of the coin. And it is the response of prayer. This one I won't open it up too much because beginning with verse 17 going forward, it's all about this same prayer. It's all about the prayer. But for now, I simply want to say that what causes us to praise God is that salvation is all of grace. What causes us to pray to God is because salvation is all of grace. In other words, from beginning to end, We need God. And that's the reason why we pray for believers. Because we know that God doesn't just start a job. He continues with that job and finally delivers that finished job in heaven. He is the primary factor. Now, with respect to the beginning of salvation, it is all... Him and Him alone because we are dead. But even as we are continuing in salvation, it is Him who is actively working in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. He is the one who upholds the people of God. I've often drawn your attention haven't I to the illustration, the seven pictures that uh, John Bunyan in uh, his famous book *Pilgrim's Progress*? And by the way, if you've never read that book, please do. It's uh, second only to the Bible as the number one world's bestseller. The Bible is number one. Number two is Pilgrim's Progress. If you read it, you'll understand why. It was written in prison, like a lot of these letters in the Bible. And when you're in prison, you, you only do things that matter. John Bunyan was in prison and wrote that book. And uh, he, it's a picture of a person going from sin, getting saved, the Christian life, all the way to heaven. That's what it is all about. Pilgrim's progress on his way to heaven. And the main actor there, or the main person, is called Christian, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, when he enters into the, the house of the Mr. Interpreter, he's shown se- seven different pictures that show the Christian life. But one of them is uh, a... A fire that's burning on the wall. And then somebody has a pipe, and he is pouring a lot of water on that fire. And the fire is not being quenched. It's not being put off. So Christian asks Mr. Interpreter, how come? How is this fire continuing when... There is this person who is trying to put it off. So the interpreter takes the man behind the wall. And then he discovers that actually there is a, a little hole in the wall. And somebody behind it is pouring, uh, the, today would say petrol. Is pouring petrol in. And he says, aha. So that's why the fire is not being quenched. There's somebody who is at work, and it is the Holy Spirit, really, who is keeping this fire burning. Well, that's the Christian life. It is, yes, we cooperate with him, but we need his power, we need his strength, and that's what we're going to be listening to from verse 17 downwards. It's all about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God and what He is doing in the background. And Paul is praying for that just as we too should be praying for fellow believers, praying that God would sustain them praying that they will grow in grace, praying that they will be more and more fruitful as Christians, praying that finally, when they are in their coffin in front of us here, as Mrs. Chisenga was, that we will all be celebrating a fruitful life and not being embarrassed about scandal after scandal after scandal that the person's life was all about. Or... They die, and then afterwards, that's when we come to hear that it was a life of complete hypocrisy and shame. May we pray for one another that God will keep us fruitful. Well, let me hurry on to close. So this is a new section that we are starting, where Paul is responding to the salvation of the Ephesians. And the point is for us to ask ourselves the question, number one, is this the salvation that we are seeing in one another? Or is it just church going? And then number two, assuming this is the salvation we are seeing in one another, the question is, how are we responding to this? How are we responding to this? Now, friends, We should not take for granted 13 people being baptized and then another four being baptized at at Hillview this morning. We mustn't take these things for granted. God is working. He is. If we are really saved, this thing should excite us that God is saving souls. It's, you know, this world is already full of too much bad news. Eh? Wherever you turn, it's, it's bad news everywhere. Or oh, if it's not bad news, it's, it's superficial news. That's, that's what is sort of taking over wherever you turn. You know, someone slapped someone. It, 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 you know, the whole world is now going amok because someone slapped someone. Come on guys, are we lacking news? Here is news. Souls being snatched out of the fire. Dead people coming to life. Those without faith now being infused with new faith by by divine power, by the Spirit of God. God. Individuals whose lives were, were warped, just little lives, living for themselves, miserable little lives, now blossoming into lives that are, are spending and being spent for others for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's news. And oh that we would be excited about it. That would be excited. As we, we get back home and we're having lunch with, with non-Christian friends. We should be telling them, we've witnessed today souls that are professing faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Fresh recruits coming into the kingdom of God. What an exciting day it is. Exciting day. And for them we praise the Lord. And for them we want to be people who will be praying because we are amazed at the marvelous grace of our loving God. Amen.